You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Welcome to our seventh graders. If you're a seventh grader, let me see you. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Oh, yeah. Hello. Welcome to New Song Students. I want you guys to look around the room, see all these faces. These people have the potential to become your very best friends. I met my best friends at New Song Students, and I can say many of the people in the room would agree with me. So don't be shy. Make some friends. You're going to have the best time. I want to address something really quick. Obviously, Pastor Jackson is not with us tonight, but I do want to tell you guys, so on Saturday, he was admitted to the hospital because he did like a really hard workout, and basically, I'm not a scientist, but his muscles weren't vibing with it, and so the proteins in his body started to like poison his blood, kind of. And so his levels were like two up, he's too swole, but really it was a serious thing. And so we're so glad that he is doing better now. He's been there for five days. He really wanted to be here tonight, but keep him in your prayers. I think he's gonna get to go home tomorrow morning, which is super exciting for him and his family. Yep, yep, and we've been praying for him. So make sure that you're praying for him, add him to your prayer list. Um, And before we get into the word, let's go ahead and pray. We gotta get to it, 25 minutes, here we go. Dear Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for every student in this room. Lord, I thank you that the people in this room represent souls. Lord, I thank you that we represent dwelling places for your Holy Spirit. So Lord, tonight I just pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would help us focus on this word. There's a lot of new things happening, fun things happening after the message. But Lord, I pray that you would help us be with you in this word to focus on what you're trying to tell us tonight, Lord. And Lord, right now, I just ask you to speak through me. Would I be nothing more than a vessel? Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Would you help us have an understanding of your love and your grace deeper tonight? In your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, let's flash back a couple of years to the summer before my freshman year of high school. I'm 14. Is anyone else in the room 14? There you go. I'm not 14 right now. 14 at my summer for freshman year of high school. Let's clarify. Okay. I'm about to walk into the doors of New Song Church for the very first time. With me, I have my mom and my dad. They're in the room tonight. And my older sister. And before this day, I had been to church as a kid, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I was a church kid. So like for reference, I went to holiday services, Christmas, Easter, maybe Mother's Day, maybe Father's Day, you know the vibe. I went to summer camps sometimes, and I even went to fall retreats. And there would be occasional seasons of like an eager, we're going to church. I'm going to go every other weekend with my dad. But it didn't last until I went to New Song Church. Um, I found myself thinking highly of God, and I always felt some type of connection to him, but at the same time, I was fully unaware of, like, how does one actually live in relationship with God? I wasn't well-studied. I only knew, like, a couple of the main Bible stories. Like, I could tell you about Noah's Ark. I could tell you about Jesus on the cross, um, and that's probably it. (laughs) So I wasn't well-studied. I didn't have, like, the church language. Um, I had little to no concept of the Holy Spirit, and I'd definitely never been to a church service in an elementary school cafeteria at the back of a winding drive, but here we are. 
Um, before this day, I had encountered the love of God multiple times. I had prayed the salvation prayer. I had even been water baptized. I owned an adventure Bible. Anyone own an adventure yeah. Bible? Yeah, I had the action figure comic Bible. Pretty cool stuff. I had talked to God before. I had felt nudges of his voice. All of this, but I did not know him. For me, this day was the beginning of coming to know God. This day was the foreshadowing into my future of God's grace and mercy on my life. This day was a window for glory. This day was the starting block for the beginning stages of owning my faith. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about owning your faith. Look to your neighbor, the one on this side of you, and say, own your faith. And then look to the other neighbor and say, own your faith. There you go. We say own your faith a lot at New Song Students. And if you're new, you may have never heard this term, which a lot of you are new tonight. So we talk about owning our faith. And what that is, is owning your faith is to experience and live out the saving faith of Jesus that is meant to infuse and transform every part of our lives. You can write that down. Yeah, it's right there. So owning your faith is to live out your faith. It's to live out the saving faith so that it would transform your lives. Owning your faith allows us to know God. That's our vision statement at New Song Church. Help people know God. Owning our faith reminds us of the call on our lives as believers and followers of Jesus. It helps us to practice the way of Jesus. Without taking ownership of your faith, we're not going to experience the transformative work of God in our own personal lives. Um, if you were possibly shy and timid while praying out the salvation prayer, the goal would be that you'd become a fully transformed follower of Christ. And if you never take ownership of your faith, that's not going to happen. That stony heart replacement that we talk about where Jesus takes it out and gives you a soft, moldable heart. If you don't own your faith, that stony heart will never make room for the Holy Spirit to come and dwell in you. The Bible warns us of a believer who never stepped into like an ownership mentality. That's what I'm going to call it. We're not renting the faith, but we're owning it. Um, he warns us of this when he calls a group of believers in Revelation lukewarm. I'm sure we've heard of this. So I'm going to read it to us. Revelation 3:16. It says, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I don't want to be spit out of God's mouth. That sounds frightening, but I'm glad he warned us of this. And what he's saying here is that he wishes we were cold or hot. Like he wishes we were all the way in one direction or all the way in the other. And what he's saying and what he's challenging that group of believers and us is that we can't have this deceptive playing in the middle. Like you can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't please both the world and Jesus. He's saying, I wish you were one or the other. Obviously, we want to be all in believers. We don't want to be in opposition to God. David Guzik says, in this spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. If you're taking notes, write that word compromise down. It tries to play in the middle. Too hot to be cold and too cold to be hot. In trying to be both things, they end up being nothing. Now, this may seem like a harsh beginning to your first night at students. <laughs> you might feel tempted to be intimidated or downcast upon hearing that these two are the words of Jesus. But it's really good news because he's going to offer us a solution to the problem. He's inviting us back to the ways of those who walked the faith long before we did. And he's asking us to take 
ownership to fully decide. So he goes on, Revelation 3, 17 and 18, right after he says that we should be hot or cold. And he says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see me. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. That word zealous could also be like be hot, be on fire, be all flame. Don't be cold, don't be lukewarm, but be zealous. And when I say purchase, like how Jesus just said, I'm, I want you to buy from me, we're not talking about purchasing like with possessions, although in your journey of faith, you might be called to give some of those to God. And we're not talking about purchasing with money, although we are to be generous. But really what this means is that faith is the currency of the gospel. By grace, through faith, we are saved. By grace, through faith, we continue to live out this salvation. Let me also make clear that the covenant or the contract of salvation does not hinge on anything that we have to offer other than our faith. So I'm talking about this ownership mentality. It's not that we purchase something. It's actually that Jesus purchased something for us. And now, by faith, we get to have that. We get to have a relationship with God. Look at this. It says in Romans 3, 20 to 24, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. It's talking about Jesus. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So you might have heard those words of revelation and been like a little bit scared. It's good to be a little bit scared. Like we want to be in the fear of the Lord. We want to revere him. We want to make him important in our lives. But this verse is telling us that anyone in the room, it's not by good things you do, it's not by bad things you do, that anyone in the room can be justified by faith. We can be in right standing with Christ by faith. So based on the Bible, we can see that there's a deep need for your ownership in faith and that it's accessible to everyone through Jesus. If we look back at that Revelation 3, the group of believers was kind of trying to say that they were like good enough. Like they were good enough without fully diving into a relationship with God. They said, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. And then Jesus was like, no, 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 you need me. Like you need to come into ownership of your faith because you need me. And I think what he's trying to have us see here is that we need to gain ownership of our faith because a real relationship with God begins with recognizing our spiritual poverty. Write that down. Recognizing our spiritual poverty. The good old Webster's Dictionary, I'm sorry, we're not in school, but I'm going to take you to the dictionary. It describes ownership as this. Ownership is the legal right to possess, use, and give away a thing. Ownership is the legal right to possess, to use, and to give away a thing. The same thing can be said about owning our faith. Before you own something, it's like a far-off idea rather than a personal experience, before you own something, you might be able to occasionally borrow it, 
Like you can benefit from other people's things without owning them, but it's not really yours. Um, this kind of reminds me of like when I'm shopping, I'll be strolling through the aisles of whatever store and I'll see a shirt and I'm like, oh, that's super cute. I would wear it with these jeans and these shoes and I'd wear it to this event. Like I start planning things around this object that I don't own, but I can see it. I can stare at it. I can make it fit into my life. I can make it seem pretty, but really it has no power and it has no use in my life because I don't own it. I didn't purchase it. Something else about not owning something is that before you own something, you can't give it away. It's called stealing. Like <laughs> If you went to the store and you got something and you're like, I want to give this to my friend. No, you would have been stealing it. We're not trying to break the law. Um, I, I was thinking of people that exemplify each quality of this ownership definition, possess, use, and give away. And I immediately thought of someone in the Bible who is titled the father of our faith. His name is Abraham. This is a side note, but we just read out of Revelation, and now we're going to go back to Genesis. I think that's super cool that in the Bible, like, we can get a warning in Revelation, and then we can find an example and an answer all the way back in Genesis. Like, it connects perfectly. It's super intricate. So I just wanted to point that out. That's super cool. But we're going to go back to Genesis we're going to look at Abraham's life. Abraham unashamedly took pride and ownership in his faith. And so much so that we still refer to God. Like the God that we worship, we still refer to him as the God of Abraham. Like this guy laid the foundation. And his entire life takes place before the first half of Genesis is even over. Like he's, he's in like a couple chapters explaining his life. But... Abraham is mentioned over 290 times throughout the entire Bible. He exemplified ownership. I want to read the definition again because we're going to break it down and we're going to go step by step. So make sure you have this in your notes. Ownership is the legal right to use, possess, and give away a thing. So if we want to own our faith, if we want to be students who don't just look at our faith from a distance or don't just show up every once in a while, if we want to own our faith, the first thing that we do is that we possess it. Number one, you got to possess it. To possess something means that it is yours. It belongs to you. Genesis 15, 6, this is the moment of Abraham's salvation, the moment when he comes into union with God. It says, and he believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So right here, Abraham believed in the Lord. He used his faith. He believes in God, and God counts it as righteousness. Just in the same way that we profess faith in Jesus through the cross, through the work of the cross, now that by faith or by grace through faith we get to be saved, Abraham and God made a covenant that they would be in union. And what's really cool is as soon as we see him possess this faith and grab a hold of it and say like, okay, this is mine now. This is my God. We get to see him branching off of his family line, like almost immediately to be saved by God. Abraham's family was actually a pagan family and they worshiped idols. And so the hesitation here would not have been to like borrow the faith of his mother and his father. Uh, actually, it would have been to go the other way, to be in full opposition of God. But 
anyone in this room fits into either one of those categories. Like either you have a family and a friend group who grew up around the things of God or maybe gave their life to Christ at an early age or an older age and now they live their life for Jesus. They worship God daily. They practice the way. Or maybe you have friends and a family who doesn't do those things. Either way, there's a temptation there to borrow faith. Abraham didn't inherit this relationship with God through earthly family or a friend, but he went straight to the Father and received. And from here on out, we begin to see God known as the God of Abraham. The same goes for us. In order to own our faith, we must go straight to the Father and receive. When you accept Jesus, when you make covenant with the Lord, like Abraham and God made covenant, he is now your God. Jesus says it himself in John chapter 20. He's been resurrected and he is about to ascend back to heaven. And he says, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Jesus is saying that just as much as God is his father, he's also our father. Like, think about that for a second. Just as much as God belongs to Jesus, like, that's the same relationship that we have. The same with Abraham and King David and everybody in the Bible who's like, this is my God. That's the same relationship that we can have with God. When you own your faith and when you possess your faith, when you take it as something that is yours, it's not about borrowing it anymore. Like, now that you own your faith, you no longer view God as the God of your parents or the God of your pastors or the God of your friend group or the God that we worship at New Song Students, not even just the God of the people in the Bible. Although he is those things, he is also your God. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Maddie Brown and fill in your name here. When you possess faith and you take ownership, he is your God. When you step into real relationship with Jesus, the same authority that Jesus said, my God, my Father, is now the authority that you have to say those words also. The next step of owning your faith, the second part of that definition, is that it's something you can use. So number two is you can use it. After possession comes youth. Use, not youth, use. Now that we own our faith, now that we have fully decided, we have the inheritance of being a son and daughter, and we get to use our faith. This is true of Abraham's life. Um, in Genesis 15, 6, what we already read is that he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That means that God gave Abraham the righteousness of Jesus in the same way that he gives it to us. So it's super cool about getting to use your faith and getting to uphold your side of this covenant is that like when Jesus sees you now and when he hears your voice now, he doesn't just see you like as some person running around in the earth, but he sees you with the righteousness of Jesus. So when you pray, when you speak, when you sing, he can hear you, he can see you, and he sees you with the righteousness, the same kind that his son wore. Abraham uses his relationship with God 
many times and in many ways. If you know his story, I don't have the time to explain it all today, but he has like an insane life. He lived like a bajillion years, it feels like, and he had some crazy things happen to him. He had a lot of accomplishments. He had a lot of answered promises. He had a lot of times where he set examples for people, but more than any accomplishment that his faith produced, the greatest accomplishment was that he used it as a means to living. Like his accomplishment was that he walked with God. In Hebrews, there is a chapter, chapter 11, and it's called the Hall of Faith. It's kind of like the Hall of Fame. See what they're trying to do there? The Hall of Faith. And it's just about people who like walked with God. And it goes down this list of all these people in the Bible. And instead of being like, King David won a lot of battles, or like Abraham interceded on behalf of an entire city and they were saved by God. It doesn't really list those things. It lists the times that they had faith in God, and it lists the times that they walked with God and that they lived life with him. And that's a cool part about Abraham's story is that growing up, growing up, when Abraham was growing up, there was like a lot of idols and things that they sacrificed to in a lot of like pagan culture, which you could say the same about now, but it looks a little bit different. And Abraham never like sold himself to those things. After he took ownership in his faith, he used it to stay within God's will for his life. Now he did mess up. He made a lot of mistakes. If you go back and read his story, you're going to be like, what is she talking about? He was kind of bad. He was kind of bad, but that's kind of the beauty of it. It's like, he was a human just like us. He had his moments where he fell into sin and he had his moments where he fell into temptation. We're all going to have our moments, but what God saw most about his life is how he used his faith as a means to living. He constantly came back to a humble recognition that God is God and he is not. It's that piece of revelation we are talking about, that how we need to gain ownership of our faith because we need to recognize our spiritual poverty. That's something that Abraham did really well. He constantly came back through his trials and tribulations, through everything that he went through. He could have easily thrown in the towel and walked away easy. Like we see that a lot today, people being like, I don't understand this. I'm out of here. Like, that's an option, and that was an option for Abraham, too. But no, he used his faith to stay in what God had for him. He used his faith to ask him questions. He used his faith to connect to him and to ask him to download his heart into Abraham's. He lives out his salvation by being in communion with God. And not only does he use his relationship with God to connect himself to heaven, but he uses it to connect heaven to earth. And that's a super cool thing that we are called to do in the Bible. Um, And a way that he does this is through something called intercessory prayer. We talk about this sometimes at New Song. We have a prayer meeting every Wednesday at noon. And then we have another one at 530 just for students. Um, And Abraham is the first person in the Bible to be seen doing this. He's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's the first recorded time of extensive intercessory prayer found in scripture. So like he is the father of our faith, he is also the Bible's first intercessor. Matthew 6.10 is when Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray. I want to let you know we are also disciples. So you can think of this as if he was saying it to you. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So like we talked about being clothed in the righteousness of God, being put in the right standing with God, whenever we intercede for people, whenever we use our faith in this capacity, God hears us and sees us with the authority of Jesus's name. We say this all the time as students, all the time. We're like, in Jesus name, amen. 
But I think we just glide over what that actually means. Like what that actually means is that we're using the authority of Jesus to pray these prayers. James 5.16 says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We can have confidence and trust that when we use our faith, it is working. All right, the next and final piece of using your faith, I'm going to speed through this one, is that we get to give it away. So quick recap, we get to possess it, we get to use it, and we get to give it away. We had a vision statement, I don't know if it was last year, the year before, sometime at New Song Students, I'm wearing the shirt, I didn't even know that, that we were saying poured out. Like, I want to be poured out. And this is that. Like, we can be poured out to God and to people. Now, something about ownership is that if you can be bought, if something can be bought, it can also be owned. And I feel like this is the double-sided coin of Christianity. Like, a coin has two sides. If you take a one-sided coin to a cashier, they're going to be like, this is fraudulent. This actually isn't the entire thing. You can't do anything with this. Christianity is the same way. It has two sides. It has one side where we get to have the inheritance of Jesus, where we get to have the blessings of God, where his face shines upon us, where he doesn't forsake us, where he lies us down in green pastures, where he makes our life blessing and flowing with abundant life. And I think all of us are like, yes, I want that because it's super good. It's a benefit of being in Jesus's love. And then there's the other side that's like flee from evil, set your eyes on things that are only pure and only righteous and only honorable and spiritual disciplines and all these things that can kind of feel like, oh, that's like the other end. Like I get all of this, but I have to do this. And I want to let you know that it's not the worst end of the deal. Like this is life with God. It's loving God, and it's loving him so much that he's transforming you, and it's loving his people. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20, it says, For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we belong to God, which is such an honor. It's like the best thing ever that we get to belong to God. Um, we have the benefits of sons and daughters, and we also have the joy of the expectations of sons and daughters. This is life with God. It's loving him and it's loving his people. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 22. Someone was asking him like, what is the greatest commandment of all? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Loving God. Abraham was maybe the most willing person in the Bible to love God and to realize that everything, every good thing that had been given to him was from God. And so he was so willing. His love transformed him. He was so willing to give those things back to God. I don't know if you guys know this story, but Abraham had a son who was promised to him by God, and it took a lot of time for him to get this son. His name was Isaac, and God tested Abraham's obedience by asking him to sacrifice this son. So this thing that he had prayed for and that he had desired for a long time, God was now asking him to give up. And how the story goes is that Abraham and Isaac are on their way to the altar. He's preparing everything he needs to make this ritual take place. And at the last second, God's like, no, don't do it. 
don't sacrifice your son, which I think we all knew was going to happen because that doesn't seem like a thing God would really follow through with. But the point of this story is that Abraham loved God so much he was willing to give up everything that God gave him. His deep love translated to action. Um, I was thinking as I was writing this, I was like, thinking about giving up things that I feel like God had given me. And even in myself, I was like, whoa, I feel like that is, like, would you really ask that God? And what he revealed to me is that it's really easy to follow him and to give up things that we feel like convicted about or to give up things that seem to be like secret sins or things that are not beneficial for our lives. And that is good to be willing to hand those over. But he also wants us to live life with an open hand with the good things the things that God gave you, the things that you feel like are a gift from heaven, really, if they're taking up the place of where God sits himself in your heart, then they're becoming idols. And so this is what God was trying to communicate to Abraham here was like, hey, your son, you're you're starting to put him on the throne of your heart instead of me. You got to keep the promise keeper there, not just the promise itself. And so you got to be willing to give up everything. You got to give things back to God And the next thing was loving people. Abraham loved people abundantly. He rescued one of his friends. He interceded for an entire city. He even loved his enemies. But the greatest gift that he gave people of all, even though he had possessions and livestock and treasures and gold and silver, the greatest gift that he gave people was the gift of God. What stuck out to me in this story of Abraham and Isaac was that I feel like there's a challenge here to obey the voice of God when it involves other people. So Abraham, when he was taking Isaac to be sacrificed, that prompt that didn't just involve himself. Like it wasn't just an inner working and an inner conviction that he needed to work out in the secret place. Like this involved bringing someone else into the story. And God was showing me that it's a lot easier to follow his voice and to follow the nudges of his spirit when it's just yourself. But it's much harder when obedience crosses the border from personal life to public life. And I think that amazing gift that came from this story was a gift to Isaac. Even though he's the one that was like about to be sacrificed, since Abraham obeyed and involved him in the story, their entire family was able to better understand the character of God who has called them into a covenant relationship in order to make them a blessing to the whole world. I'm going to read that again. Because Abraham obeyed God when it involved others, his family was able to understand the character of God who has called them into a covenant relationship in order to make them a blessing to the whole world. This sounds like the Great Commission. This sounds like exactly what we're supposed to do, to bring others, to invite other people into our relationships with God so that they too can be brought into relationship with God. And for many, of this, for many of us, what this means is not living in our Christian bubble. Like, it's super easy. I'm guilty of it. I love my church friends. I love my church girls. I love a Sunday afternoon when I get to go to lunch with Eman and Molly, and we just talk church, and all of us are on the same page. I love that. Like, more than anything, I love that. But there's a challenge here. It's like, are you loving other people that have the image of God in them as well that might take a little bit more out of you to share the gospel with them too? Like at school, are you inviting people to sit with you at lunch that don't seem to be Christian, that seem to be a little bit different, or that seem to have differing opinions than you? 
Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Another one, it says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. When we share our faith with other people, when we invite other people to witness this walk that we have with God, when we are being poured out, it is allowing other people to also grab onto this faith. And it's all for the sake of Christ. The good thing about all of this is that our faith doesn't hinge upon our strength, but on the strength of our inner man. And that's Jesus in us. I should have invited the band to come up a long time ago. <laughs> but you guys can come up. Our faith doesn't hinge upon our strength, but on the strength of our inner man, which is Jesus. Like, you don't have to do this in striving. You don't have to possess your faith and use your faith and give away your faith out of your own strength, but you get to do it because Christ is in you, which means that the Holy Spirit can come be in you as well, that he can guide you through these things, that he can help you. The world needs people who own their faith because the world needs people that have the Holy Spirit in them and upon them. The world needs students to go to school that walk the halls with the Holy Spirit. Like if you are a dwelling place of God, that means everywhere your feet step, he goes with you. The world needs students that are willing to give away a piece of themselves, like to give away a little bit of their faith, to give away a little bit of their testimony that are willing to give away forgiveness, that are willing to give away things and invite people back to God. Your families need an intercessor. You might not think about that because you're like, I'm just a student. Like I have a family that protects me and loves me or I, I don't really know if I could do anything about my family situation, but your family needs an intercessor, whether it's good, bad, great, amazing, not good at all. Your family needs someone to pray over them. Your sports teams, your clubs, your jobs, anywhere you go, needs to see the transformative work of Jesus play out in real time. Ownership of faith is not just an active life with God, it's a realization that there is no life apart from him. He is the life. Like when we own our faith, when we say, God, you are my God, when we have something to give away, to the world, you'll begin to realize that like, I don't just want to have an active life with God, but I want to have a life that never steps away from him, that never leaves his presence. I've been listening to this song and the verse lyric says, if I was a bird, I would make my nest in the rafters of your sanctuary. Like if I was a bird, I would never fly away. And that's how I want to live for Jesus. That's how I want to be with God. I want to be one of those people that could have been written in the hall of faith. Like if I was born back in that time, I really hope I would have made that list. So I'm going to invite you guys tonight to examine your hearts and to question C if you are, ooh, we have an alarm. <laughs> to see if you are living this out. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna say some questions really quickly. I don't know if they'll be on the screen, but let's focus in for the last couple minutes here. Um, we don't have small groups tonight, and so I wanna leave you guys with something to think on, something where you can own your faith, where you can open up your Bible when you get home or later this week without having someone to tell you to do it. That's part of owning your faith. Here's the questions. Am I confident in God's word? Am I living like a son or a daughter? 
Am I able to hold things, hopes, dreams, and desires with an open hand? And does my love for God translate to his people? I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come down for altar ministry. And if you guys would, let's stand together. We talk a lot about New Song students doing things with boldness, living in pursuit, practicing the way of Jesus, and all of those are things that sound amazing and that are great. But if you're not owning your faith, then you're not gonna have the power to do those things. So tonight, wherever you are on this journey with God, whether you've accepted him to your heart and he lives with you daily and you're walking with him, or maybe tonight you want to come down and you want to pray the prayer of salvation. You realize, oh, I don't have this type of relationship with God. Or maybe you just need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. You need to be reminded of the possibilities of life with God. Maybe you need courage, boldness to give away your faith, to use it, to stand in faith, to pray for other people. Whatever it is, our prayer team is going to be down here tonight ready to partner with you. This is an active step in owning your faith. It's owning your spiritual poverty. It's saying, God, I need you and I want you. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this message, Lord. I thank you that your words are encouraging to us. Jesus, I thank you that we get to have the righteousness that you have, that we get to come into communion with the Father, that we get to call you our God. God, you are my God. Lord, I pray that as we come down, as we step out in faith tonight, that you would give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit, a fresh outpouring of your love, Lord. May this word stick with us and remind us of who we are in you.